Here we are back on Dr. Doctor with a bonus time for uh, the episode, the COVID-19 update recorded December 9th with epidemiologist, uh, pharmacist, PhD, vaccinologist extraordinary John Grabenstein. And we've got more vaccine questions. So uh, John, let's go on to a big problem that we usually don't think about because it's all kind of a black box is done away from where we can see it is logistics. Logistics seems to be one of the biggest bugaboos with um, with getting the vaccines out. What is involved uh, in that? What should we know about it? Everything. So the the old the old story is that at a cocktail party, the amateurs talk about st- uh, strategy, and the professionals talk about logistics because <laughs> it, it's essential. Uh, you know, where's where's my iPod, my iPhone? Where's my Christmas gifts? Um, you know, and all that. So, and, and imagine Amazon having to keep everything at, at crazy cold temperatures while it's while it's moving it from place to place. So, um, you know, it, 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 it starts at the loading dock. You know, you got to get the air. You got to get to the airport. You got to get it on the airplane. It's got to stay uh, properly cold. The F, the Federal Aviation Administration had to give waivers to the yes. airlines because they for the amount of carbon di- uh, dry ice. For yes. the carbon dioxide on the planes, and it, 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 there's a long story. I, I used to kid my Air Force colleagues that they wouldn't let this one product on the planes because it had to be stored in dry ice. I said, "You take explosives. Why don't you take dry ice?" <laughs> and it has to do with pressure. You know, if they, if it comes out, yes. it, it changes the pressure and it can crash the plane. Uh, all right, so uh, airplanes, the airplane lands. You got to get a truck to the warehouse. Uh, it's got to get so you get it to the. Um, to the warehouse in Indianapolis, uh, but you but not everybody lives in Indianapolis, and you got to get it out to Fort Wayne, and you got to get it down south, and you got you know so you got to hub and spoke uh, the product out, and it then even when it gets to Fort Wayne, uh, it can't be at City Hall or whatever the, <laughs> the city hospital is. It's got to get out to multiple clinics and keeping the cold chain the whole time, and and then you got to get resupplied. Well. Fast enough, but not too fast. You want to build up your inventory. You know, you you want to have enough inventory, but not too much inventory, not too little. And that it's a whole Goldilocks exercise. At you know, there are three thousand counties in the United States. You know, and and you know, the little ones will have one clinic, but you know, uh, I don't know how many how many shot clinics Indianapolis is going to have, let alone New York or Chicago or LA. right. How, how many doses of the vaccine do you think will be available to Americans in or before the end of the year, assuming the FDA approves the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines on the 10th and 17th? The best guess is today, it's the 9th, or something like 25 million doses, which is, you know, it, it's, it's 12, that's 12 and a half million people's worth because it's two doses per person. But you don't, you don't, you know, I, I would not, because um, the, the product keeps coming off the assembly line uh, out of the pipeline from the manufacturer. And so I wouldn't hold the, the second doses for 21 days because I know I've got a resupply coming right behind it. So and, and this is, you know, the, the, the feds have got, um, you know, fine detail on the amount of product to be released each week. And they should there'll, there'll be some glitches, um, you know, with this. Uh, number of uh, retail locations, um, but there'll be some glitches. But but they'll work it through, and uh, you know because everybody's you know wants to cooperate and everybody wants everybody to succeed. So just it is complicated. 
You thought on our October interview with you that every adult in the country would have an opportunity to receive a COVID vaccine sometime between April and June. What do you think today on December 9th? So Monta Slawi, the guy who's running the federal program, uh, was in the paper the other day saying May or June. So it sounds like uh, I was right. Very good. May or June. And you know, that whole question about we'll have the opportunity Is there any role or when is there ever a role for a vaccine mandate? That word scares a lot of people. Yeah. Um, So while the products are first available under this emergency use authorization status, EUA status, they must be voluntary. Uh, So mandate's not a question. I don't think a mandate is appropriate from a mandate from the feds, a mandate from the states is not, not appropriate until there's a lot more safety experience and we really have a much uh, broader base to, uh, to, to work from. Now, having said that, uh, will the airline, if you want to fly to Europe, is the airline going to say, show me your vaccination record? Uh, oh. Or is, you know, is there going to be some sort of, um, at some point our hospital is going to say, you can't work on the COVID ward unless you're vaccinated. This this is the tension between personal right and collective need, and when um, when do I not have a right to infect somebody else? That's that's what this will boil down to. John, what kind of advice do you have for listeners who are kind of in the undecided group about receiving a COVID vaccine? So um, I'm going to get it. And I've seen the data, and and everything is looking positive. Uh, it, it, I would ask them, why are they? Why would they want to wait? Do they not believe in the disease? Um, do they think that the vaccine's harmful? Well, let's talk about the safety. Um, and pretty soon, so so, and, and let's be honest, right? You know, at the very beginning, we're going to have thirty or forty thousand people's worth of information. That's not 30 million people's worth of information. And, and rare, side, rare side effects might only be seen, you know, in the next month or so uh, for the first time. So, so, so um, um, the, if they choose to wait, they should realize that they're taking, they're, they're staying vulnerable. And then they should think again, or, you know, they should reassess. They should uh, look when a million people have been vaccinated and then 10 million people have been vaccinated and then ask themselves, what am I waiting for? Is this just a, you know, do, you know, when will it be good enough? Uh, meanwhile, the virus is still out there. Have, have you seen John data about how many people will likely take it? Cause I, I've I, seen all sorts of, of uh, surveys and the old, the original surveys I'm not very impressed with. Be, I, 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 let me put it this way. I'm sure, I'm sure they were reflecting uh, the opinions of the time, but right. now we know how effective the vaccine is. So people should rethink. People should, you know, should take a look at, at what we really know uh, about the data. So, uh, you know, fifty percent won't take it from a month ago is, you know, not the current state of affairs because we now know that you know the the hoped for number is ninety five percent effective, and we see the the case counts. How soon before a vaccine besides Pfizer or Moderna is available in the U.S.? Oh yeah, I meant to talk about that. So, um, so these two products will probably be available 
or you know the the the, the you know the pick the photo ops of the first shots being given will probably be in mid December. Um, product number three and product number four uh, will probably so the next two are the uh, adenovirus vectored vaccines. That's AstraZeneca's, uh, Oxford University of AstraZeneca, and uh, Johnson and Johnson. Those are the two adenovirus vectored ones. Those are the ones that are grown in uh, HEK23 or Percy 6 cells. Uh, it's the fourth and the fifth, or excuse me, the, the fifth and the sixth one, uh, probably, that will be the uh, untainted, less tainted, uh, far less un far less tainted products, which will be Novavax and Sanofi. That's probably, I mean, the, the good news to the bad news of all these cases is it's speeding up the clinical trials because people are getting infected. And, right. And this is the Sanofi GSK, not the Sanofi Pasteur. Well, so um, Sanofi, Sanofi Pasteur is an mRNA vaccine. No, no, no. So, so Sanofi has an arm called Sanofi Pasteur that's their vaccine group. Right. So the stock that's traded on Wall Street is Sanofi, and they have a Sanofi Pasteur division. They are partnering with GSK. So the Sanofi GSK vaccine is the Sanofi Pasteur GSK vaccine. But aren't there two different Sanofi vaccines? No. One. Only one. Is it an mRNA vaccine? No. It's a subunit vaccine. Now, the Institute Pasteur is a partner with Merck on a live virus uh, measles-based vaccine. I don't know if that's okay. Right. Okay. I'm confused because I think the Charlotte Lozier website lists two different Sanofi products, and that is my um, source of confusion. So I'm looking it up right now. Uh, so Sanofi and GSK protein vaccine baculovirus. That's the one that's the protein subunit right now that is cleanly produced. Yes. But it lists a separate one that Sanofi Pasteur and Translate Bio USA France, oh. which is an mRNA vaccine, which is tested in HEC 293 cells. Yes. Sorry. I, that That's right. That's a that's a much further back in development product. Yes. Uh, and it is an mRNA. Yes. Yeah. That's, sorry. I, 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 if you had said translate bio, it would have clicked. But uh, I, I, forget what the, I forget what the relationship between, between Sanofi and translate bio is. They either just bought a, a stake in one company or the other or something like that. So, there, so it's the Sanofi GSK one. That is right now. There seems to be no ethical taint at all. Correct. The, good. So at least it's consistent with what I said in the beginning of the radio show. <laughs> we want to give people good information. So the, the key point is that the the fifth and the sixth ones are the ones that have the least moral objections or no moral objections, and uh, but they're going to be March or April. So let's let's. I don't know if Joe talked about this earlier, but let's confront a conundrum. Do I wait? Yeah. Do I? You know. So my yeah, sister said, that. "Which product yes. should I get?" I said, "You get the first because she's the one who was the Guillain-Barré survivor." Yes. Uh, so I said, "You get the first one that's available to you," because uh, okay, you want to make a moral statement about I prefer the preferred vaccine, and go for how you know for four more months of vulnerability. Right. I don't advise that to anybody uh, because we're not called to martyrdom. You know, by being healthy, we can do God's work, in my humble opinion. 
Okay, so the Oxford AstraZeneca one made in the HEK293 cells, some fascinating and odd stuff with the data, isn't there? Yes. Uh, so their interim analysis results came out uh, a week ago, maybe some 10 yes. days ago. And um, so they had a serendipitous issue of some people in the, one of the parts of their study got less virus in the dose than they expect, than they intended. The first dose. In the first dose. And well, they, in, in fact, that arm was only supposed to get one dose. And then they realized what happened. And they hustled back to the regulators and said, hey, ah. we, we got this problem. Can we, you know, make something, make, you know, lemons, up? can we make lemonade out of this situation? And uh, so they, they gave them a second full dose. Well, it's a good thing they did because that serendipitous, wacky, strange, unintended situation was the, perf was the better arm. It, it it had ninety some percent efficacy, and Compared. the uh, approach that they had intended to take had sixty two percent efficacy. How does that make sense? Uh, well, it could be that their first dose was too much. So, all right. So let's go back. the The technology for this product is a live virus. Um, it's an adenovirus. It's a common cold kind of virus that yes. is carrying in. Um, some mRNA to cause production of spike protein that we talked about earlier. Yes. Well, if that first dose was so strong that it neutralized, it, it induced a protective response, immune response, and then the second dose appears, but the body's already in pretty good shape, the body gobbled up the second dose and they got little value from the second dose. I'm, I'm being, I'm being, you know, a little, sure. little loose with the illustrations here, but um, and and so by lowering the first dose, they they got some protection, but not too much, and the second dose was able to boost it, and and they got good efficacy. So why they didn't discover this sooner, you know, in earlier state, this should, you know, you. Ideally, this should have been identified at earlier stages. In a, in a dose finding study, right? right? Dose phase two or something like that. But for whatever reason, uh, it didn't. It wasn't wasn't found. But now they got a you know a serendipitous positive finding. But they're probably gonna you know the regulators are gonna say, okay, <laughs> go back to redo your study, do it intentionally this time. Which dose do you want to you know which dose do you do you prefer? Which because the it's on the it's it's a it's the developer's responsibility to determine the preferred dose, and and then justify it for the regulator. So, is it premature that the UK approved this and is now giving it to citizens? They haven't approved it. Uh, they have so the product being used in the UK is the Pfizer product. Oh, it is. Thank in, you. In an emergency, they have a different terminology, but it's our UA it. status. And the Canadians this morning. December 9th gave EUA their version of EUA status to Pfizer's product. So that's all Pfizer's product. Got now, it. Um, so will this delay Oxford's approval? It depends. It, it will delay their full approval until this is all sorted out. Is, is it good enough in a crisis when there isn't enough supply of vaccine to allow the wacky half-dose, full-dose, that was the yes. thing, the half-dose, full-dose approach to be used under emergency conditions until they can sort, sort this out. This is another example of how, you know, 
I've got I've got some data. I've got reasonably good data, but it's not as much as I'd want. And people are dying from the disease. How many thousand got the smaller dose compared to how many got the thousand? So that's not you know that's that's not small. It's not big, but it's not small. To, to, actually, it's twenty seven hundred. I think twenty eight hundred or something like that. At at what point, John, would you say we can go back to normal and dispense <laughs> with all the extra stuff? Is that it is a, a working definition when anybody who wants one can get a vaccine plus two months? Or is that, uh, you know, if not enough people take it, are we still waiting for herd immunity? Yeah, I, I don't know. So, so it depends on your risk tolerance, I think, to a certain extent. Um, my daughter's getting married in May, so I just keep rationalizing. That. Everything's going to be fine by May. <laughs> um, the... Um, when we can, when we can, when this is purely history, there's going to be a year or two from now, right? Uh, right? By the time everybody has a dose and there's no risk that, you know, some continent, some country doesn't have, you know, is going to have, a plane's going to land and reintroduce it. And all the, the naysayers who just never got vaccinated are a pool of susceptibles that can, can infect your community, you know, re, re you know, an, an ember sure. that can, relight the fire in your community um that's gonna be quite some time now when can i you know uh when can the when the when can the churches be at 100 percent capacity that that might be a definition of normal um i don't know there's so many pieces of this well i guess it's easy social policy is hard (laughs) a correlated question i guess um that some people have been asking is you know, how long will immunity last from this vaccination? You know, some some shots only last, like the pertussis only lasts for a handful of years. Are we thinking that this is going to be permanent? Is COVID one that is going to require annual or semi-booster semi, semi uh, booster shots? Don't know yet. Too soon to tell. Um, I, I'm going to want immunity for 10 years. And so whether that's, you know, one... Uh, one one series, and it'll protect me for ten years. Or I need nine more yearly thereafter. I don't know. Uh, we'll find out. You know, but I mean, the good news is the, the Achilles heel. The spike is the seems to be the Achilles heel, and we just gotta you know uh, uh, maintain, sustain the antibody levels, whatever that takes, and uh, we should get good, pretty good protection. So we talk about when adults can receive vaccine. When should kids receive vaccine? Hmm. Yeah, the, the, the developers are starting to design the pediatric studies now. Uh, Moderna is about to start a, a teenager study, 12 to 17 years old. And uh, the other companies will as well as soon as they you know, um, can get themselves organized. It, the, the the nice thing is that the, the and, and so what you do is you do it in steps going downward. So you do right. think of it as doing teenagers, then you do grade schoolers, then you do toddlers, and you know maybe we'll get to infants eventually. So so the, uh, the good news is <laughs> that the these don't have to be disease prevention studies; they just are antibody response studies, and so they're yeah, quicker, or simpler, or smaller. Yeah. Uh, and so what you do is you say, okay, the average adult who got vaccinated has you know, uh, 62 arbitrary units of antibody mm-hmm. from after vaccination. Well, as long as the kids get 62 or more, um, they're called bridging studies, 
uh, then we presume that they're just as protected as the uh, as the adults. And that's pretty standard procedure with a lot of vaccines. Is is there anybody you would recommend not getting the vaccine? At the moment, um, so I'm a I'm a I'm a, um, I'm a believer in vaccines because I it, 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 we, I think we talked last time a vaccination is just an intentional stimulus of your immune system. Right. And these products are well. The, so let's separate it here. The mRNAs and the subunits are not living things. They're they're proteins of a variety of, of sorts that the body reacts to. And so they're pretty safe products. The adenovirus vectors are live virus vaccines. And traditionally, the live virus vaccines are withheld from people who are immunocompromised. Um, so uh, heart transplant, kidney, uh, cancer, chemotherapy, uh, kinds, of, uh, uh, ki- kinds of patients. And um, that might actually be overkill in this case, because the you don't really think about systemic adenovirus. No, you don't. But, uh, but anyway, you know, abundant, there's abundance of caution kinds of uh, approaches to these things. So there would be few people that would be just categorically um, out of there. Now, you know, what this, what this allergy thing out of the UK turns out to be when people can look at the, the full set of medical records, you know, maybe that'll reveal something. But there aren't going to be very many people who have a medical reason not to be vaccinated. How much will it cost to receive a COVID vaccine? So uh, all of you on the, in the listening audience who pay federal taxes uh, have, have uh, your tax dollars uh, bought the product. So um, Uncle Sam bought or is buying 100 million doses of Pfizer's, 100 million doses of Moderna's, et cetera, et cetera. And so the product is paid for. Now, the, um, the time and labor of the, of, the med- of the clinic or the pharmacy or the medical office to, to administer the product will get billed to Medicare or your commercial insurance, and there's a federal system that's going to pay for the uninsured, uh, or it's, it's going to go to Medicaid. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure precisely what the mechanism is. But so when we go to the vaccination site, we won't have to put down any money. It should be uh, for at least the next year. It should be zero out of pocket, as I understand it. So here are some questions I've been getting from colleagues, and some of them seemed a little, um, a little unusual. But since some people are asking them, you know, it's kind of funny. There have been people on the one hand saying, well, if we've had this vaccine available for months, why have we been sitting on our hands? And there's other ones trying to shut down vaccine studies because they think it's unsafe. And, and now there's people pointing out, well, you're really not protecting that many people because something called the number needed to vaccinate to prevent one illness or one death is so high that it's not worth it. What is this whole number needed to vaccinate thing and how is it practically important? Right. So um, if I, how many people do I have to vaccinate to prevent a case of disease? Uh, and, and there's a, in, in medicine, there's a thing called number needed to treat. How right. many, how many people have to take aspirin to avoid one heart attack? Right. right. You know, is it a, is it a, if it's a really strong effect, it might be 10 or a hundred, or if it's a heart attacks are to a certain extent are rare, what's the relative value of aspirin? Or, you know, how many people have to be on cholesterol-lowering drugs to prevent a stroke or a heart attack? And that, or how many that, people need to wear a seatbelt to prevent a traffic fatality? Right. It, it, that's, a, that's a good analogy. So, um, so 
So the, so the vaccine equivalent of that is number needed to vaccinate. And there is no benchmark because it depends. And it, it's a typical statistician answer, but um, <laughs> the it, it, number needed to prevent what? The number, of pe- number needed to prevent a mild case, the number needed to prevent a severe case, mm-hmm. the number needed to prevent a hospitalization, the number needed to prevent a death. Those would each be different numbers. Yes. And the more rare the thing is, death being the more rare one, um, the higher the number would be. So it might be one and it might be you have to vaccinate up. Well, I, what, I, what I would tell as I was, um, I was teaching pharmacists to vaccinate, uh, I would use the example of influenza. And I would say for people over 65, by the time you have vaccinated 100 people, 200 people, you have saved a life. Wow. Because of the frequency of flu, influenza, the frequency of influenza death, the, the protective efficacy of the vaccine, et cetera. So, but, but, so, so these are statistical uh, models. And let's just stay within COVID. It, uh, mild cases of COVID are more common than severe cases of COVID or hospitalization for COVID are more common than deaths from COVID. And, and the number will, be, will differ. But who's to say what the right number is? The, the, the number is... We're having more deaths per day right. um, t- now than an attack on Pearl Harbor in one day. And um, I think one one thing with that discussion, too, is just touch tones of other medicines that we use kind of commonly without thinking about it. You know, the, the number that was quoted for the for COVID for the Pfizer vaccine was like 256. That's similar, I think, to like the statin drugs. That's 200 and some yeah. seatbelts are quoted between 400 and a couple thousand people right. have to wear seatbelts to prevent a death. So, I mean, this is not an outlandish number when we compare yeah, it to other things that people accept. Not at all. How do we explain to people or get them to understand that a vaccine is not going to bring risk of disease to zero, but it's going to, lower it a lot. In other words, I'm, I'm suspecting some people will receive the vaccine and not want to participate in any of the other NPIs. What would you say about that? The non-pharmaceutical interventions, that is. There, there was a great uh, article in the New York Times, December 5th. And you, you can find this in several places now. Google uh, the Swiss cheese model of pandemics. I wrote an article in November that had the Swiss cheese illustration yeah. in, in our Sunday visitor. Right. So it you started by a public health for radio, right? So yes. uh, <laughs> you, know, you got to slice the Swiss cheese and some things can go through the holes. Well, line up another piece of Swiss cheese. Well, some of the holes match, but not all of the holes. So the, the second piece of Swiss cheese blocks some of the stuff. You line up a third piece of Swiss cheese. Well, a little bit less gets through. And eventually at the X nth uh, yes. piece of Swiss cheese, you know, it's near zero, and um, anyway, so I mean, there's this is drawn different ways, but you know, masks help. You know, are masks perfect? No. Are is social distancing perfect? No. Is vaccines perfect? No. But well, then why do anything? Well, let's just let's just give up. No. No. Do all of them. <laughs> right. They they all help. Thank you. I love that Swiss cheese analogy. S- somebody pointed out, and I think this was a really good point my friend made, is that. Patients with obesity are at the highest 
all right, some of the highest risk for bad outcomes. And yet, I didn't realize this, but that obese patients often refer less or respond less well to vaccines than those who are not obese. Is that true? And if so, how should this concern us? Uh, it is true in a couple of different ways. The first is um, they probably need a different length needle, a longer needle. Ah. Because if you're going to give the vaccine intramuscularly, you've got to reach the muscle. Well, you've muscle. got to pass through whatever adipose tissue is there at your arm or your thigh or wherever you're going to inject. And it doesn't, you know, this is no shame or scandal on the obese person. It's just, it's a matter of physics. It's right. You got to get the vaccine to where it should be. So, um, you, you know, the standard length needle might be an inch for an IM uh, injection, but you might, somebody might need a two inch or a two and a half inch needle, or you might need to go to the thigh where you can maybe get to them. You know, you do that in children, but you yes. don't typically do that in adults, but you may need to go to the interlateral thigh uh, to reach muscle. And uh, so that's the first plate. That's the first, because if you, if the vaccine ends up in subcutaneous tissue, it doesn't, it's not perfused as well. It doesn't get absorbed as well. You don't get as good a response. Right. We want muscle because there's a lot more blood vessels. Right. Precisely. So that's the first part. Then there, there have been, hepatitis B is vaccine is probably the best example where even with proper administration, okay. obese people don't um, respond to the vaccine as well. That's, uh, I think there might be a second example that I'm blanking on, but um, it, more often than not, it's a needle length issue. And so if you, and, and so I teach, I mean, I preach this to clinicians all the time. If you have a obese person, loved one in your household, in your family, you know, and you're, you know, taking or you yourself are going, you know, ask for a longer needle. That is a great, that might be one of the best <laughs> health saving points of this whole recording. And it's so darn simple. Um, do we have any idea, have they broken it out to see how patients by BMI, by obesity, have responded to any of these COVID vaccines? Uh, it was in some of the FDA papers yesterday, and I have to admit I was rushing to, and I didn't, I don't remember those numbers. But it, but it, they have looked at BMI, and but I, I don't remember what the numbers are. I don't, I, I didn't focus. on Next that. recording, we'll get to that, John. It gives us something uh, uh, uh. To, to check on. <laughs> stump me. You got to stump me on something. <laughs> it's not easy. Okay, then this other report came out from Europe about these two doctors, Michael Yeadon, who 10 years ago held a senior research position with Pfizer, and a pulmonologist, Dr. Wolfgang Wodarg, have asked the European Medicines Agency to stop the vaccine trials because they say it's so dangerous. It might cause infertility in women. It, um, it might cause allergic or fatal reactions, unacceptable long-term risk. What do you make of requests like this? Where do these people come from? Um... <laughs> There's um, there's a, a a quote that has been attributed to Isaac Newton, but I've never been able to track it down. That don't bring me more theories, bring me more evidence. Because um, you can theorize anything, right? And and um, there is no indication. Yeah, you know, and I've seen you you sent me some stuff where they were hypothesizing that well, this uh, amino acid sequence is like that amino acid sequence, and therefore the sky is going to fall. Well. Okay, so right now we've been through thirty or forty thousand people, and we're going to have more. And if you really believe that, check back in with me when we're at five or ten million, and 
you know, it should be apparent by then. I don't, I highly doubt that it, you know, I'm you know, as skeptical as can be that, that this stuff is real. And okay, let's get this in the, in the hands of the FDA. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and not just, it, it's alarming to me that um, uh, reproductive health, female, you know, infertility and those sorts of things is, is cast about because it scares people. And yes. in a way that's really visceral. Yes. And, you know, there were all sorts of accusations for this sort of stuff with, with Gardasil, the papillomavirus vaccine. And yes. it just was completely un, ungrounded and then completely disproven. And uh, we shouldn't scare people improperly. Yeah, needlessly. The disproven half of stuff never makes it into the popular press. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Surprise, surprise. Well, the last question I have in my list is I saw some, you know, naysayers uh, who were unhappy with the U.S. government because Pfizer offered them the opportunity to buy a second hundred million doses of vaccine back during the summer and the government declined. And now that the vaccine is good and they're having... Uh, issues and other countries have bought that 100 million doses. They blame the government. How do you respond to people making that complaint, John? Um, well, so if uh, if these vaccines hadn't worked, they'd be complaining that this was money wasted. That's <laughs> exactly. The answer. Um, so Uncle Sam back in uh, April, May, June was trying to place bets on how to rev up the pharmaceutical research arm and then protect the people. And, and it had a strategy of uh, investing in, in multiple different baskets, sure. the three different technologies, the dollar cost averaging the subunits, <laughs> and then multiple manufacturers. And so, you know, um, maybe one of them will work. Right. Well, by golly, maybe all of them are going to work and we'll say we're not there yet. Um, but, but you know, what we're going to, you know, if, if they all work, we're going to be awash in vaccine and have too much and then be trying to figure out how to get some to Latin America and Africa and you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's a, it's a, that was a damned if you do, damned if you don't think. Yes. So, so the other piece is that there are options on some of these contracts and, and um, we should not confuse that you, you should have bought more than a hundred million doses with, don't confuse that with, I don't have enough today. Well, I don't have enough today is because of, you know, the, the, you know, the first few lots out of the assembly line, you've got to get, you know, they had to make special contracts with glass manufacturers for vials. And so you have to have the right number of vials. You have to say have the same number of stoppers. You have the same number of uh, aluminum flanges around the stopper. You got to have the, the label yes. and the ink and the glue and the box and the, you know, it's all yes. gonna, it's, if it doesn't all come together, any one of those things can hold up a lot. John, you know, there, there are going to be some people out there who have listened to the radio show and the extra podcast and still have questions. Uh, we've asked all of them that we can possibly think of. What would be good resources to send folks to that are still awash with questions? So the best single place is the CDC, so cdc.gov slash vaccines. They, they have a moderate amount of stuff there today. And we know, I know from my other work, 
they're, you know, the, the elves in Atlanta are scrambling to, um, you know, they've got all sorts of documents that are ready to go, but they need the final wording from the FDA and they need the final wording from, from CDC and that sort of thing. And so they're not there yet. Um, but, but I think you're going to see over time more and more, um, uh, information at the CDC site, the FDA site has the briefing documents for the advisory committee now that next Tuesday, they'll probably have the briefing documents for the Moderna uh, product for the, for the next Thursday review. And so those are, those are the two best sources. Um, I just got past an hour before we came on air. Um, the, the corresponding documents for Pfizer's product in Canada are at some Canadian websites. And uh, so that would give you some clue, you know, some hints, some clues. Um, and, uh, but it, it, you know, it, it, we're going to, we're going to be drowning in information, I think, here quite quite soon. John, thank you for your stalwart work in vaccinology and being available for our listeners here on Dr. Doctor. God bless you and your work. My pleasure and Merry Christmas, everybody. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor.